Well, we spent a whole year trying to understand holiness, and we have come to one summary conclusion, and that is only one is holy. Only God is holy, and so, therefore, holiness is not about how good we can behave or how much we can reform our lives. Holiness is all about incorporating the characteristics of God, having His nature live through us. Now, in these last weeks of the year, we're talking about some unpredictable things God has done, some strange places for holiness, and some strange people for holiness. Um, it is not uh, uh, altogether fathomable to me why he chose the people he did. And so we're going to spend some time just taking a survey, really, to try to grasp uh, why God chose the people he did for his holiness. We're not going to just exegete one passage. We're going to see a pattern in Scripture. This is honestly one of the most endearing characteristics of God that I know about. It makes me <laughs> uh, glad that he is this way because he can choose odd people. And I count myself in that category. Not proudly, but I do. Now, the reason that this is so appropriate at Christmas time is because we see some great examples of it. Um, let's just use the one that, that Vernon brought up, Zacharias. Uh, it's so odd to me that he would choose an old infertile couple to, um, to have as their only child, John the Baptist. Can you imagine John the Baptist uh, being the only child of an old uh, infertile couple? Now, not only that, he goes to Zacharias. Now, Zacharias, you can understand it. This is a, this is a stigma, very much, of a, much more of a stigma back then than it is now. But he's a little bit frustrated. They've, they've lived a whole life of righteousness. He's a little bit frustrated. And the angel goes to him and says, you're going to have a baby. And, and Zacharias just hops right on it. And he says, well, how am I going to know? Give me a sign. Got a little bit sassy with an angel. You, it's not a good idea to get sassy with an angel. Because the angel answers back, oh, want a sign? I give you a sign. <laughs> See, he gets sassy back. Never get sassy with people more power than you got. It's just, not a, it's just not a smart thing. And so he gave Zacharias what we call these days a timeout. <laughs> Made him go sit in a little timeout chair, you know, for five months. Couldn't talk. I give you a sign. You can't talk anymore. Well, it's not just Zacharias. God, from the very beginning of calling a people to himself, called number one an odd people, and number two a bunch of odd individuals. Think about it for a moment. If you have your scriptures, you might turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. There's a summary verse there of calling Israel on the basis of what they're not, on the basis of the attributes they don't have. It says this, Deuteronomy 7, starting with verse 6, says, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. <coughs> so very, very at the beginning of the call, it's like, I'm calling you because you're, you're kind of no count. 
You, you've heard that little short, quippy poem, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Somebody, some Jewish guy later wrote um, a, a follow-up to that, said, <laughs> I like this, not odd of God, goyim annoyim. <laughs> I like that. Goyim is a, is a pejorative term for non-Jews. But anyhow, um, but here God is saying, you, you aren't all that. And not only that, look at the people who are the heroes of the faith. They're, some of them are heroes in some ways, but not, not in a lot of ways. Look at Abram. Now, Abram had the good sense to get up and go when God told him to go. Say, come on, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Going to take you on a journey. And, and, uh, um, and you don't even know where we're going. Now, he had the good sense to do that. You follow his life, though, and in a lot of ways, this guy was kind of a weenie. I mean, he, he goes through these strange land. A Pharaoh said, man, good looking. Sarah is a good looking woman. And Abraham said, oh, just my sister. <laughs> you may think we're married. It's just my sister. Just weaned right out because he's afraid to get beat up. Now, that's no kind of thing to do to your wife, is it? It's not that they lied altogether. They were some shirt-tail relations, but, but that's not a good thing to do. Not only that, but here's this brave father of the nation and uh, uh, just did everything his wife told him to do. He's kind of, he's, he was kind of a little bit hand-packed when you get right down to it. When, listen, <coughs> when, 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 when his son was delayed, this long-promised son, his wife said, well, you just march right into Hagar then and have, have a child. You, you just have a child together. She'll be my proxy. And so he goes, okay. And then she got mad at him for it. Has that ever happened to you? Huh? Why don't you just do this? So you're doing it. And then she's mad. Well, you should have known better to do that. Oh, I'm sorry. And then she kicks them both out. I mean, kicks Hagar and Ishmael, who, who Abram loved. Kicks them out. So it goes, no, she doesn't care. She goes to him and says, you kick him out. Okay. See, he's kind of a little handback guy. Now, how odd of God to choose somebody like that? And, and you can go right down the line. What about Jacob? Jacob was the original con man. He was the original con man. Now, any of you who grew up in a family of brothers knows what it is to have the oldest con you out all your stuff. I mean, it's just kind of the business of the family. Uh, he, he, he'll, he'll swap. You get in a business deal with your older brother when you're younger, you're not going to come out ahead. I'm sorry, you're not. You're going to end up with a Beatles head for your new bike or something like that. I mean, it's just kind of tradition. But Jacob was the younger brother, and he was still the original con artist got in with his mom and they plot against their father and their brother and the thing, the whole family dynamic thing. And you think to yourself, you're going to choose this guy to lead the nation Israel. You're going to choose this guy as the leader of the chosen people. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Why? Why Moses? Moses trained as the son of a Pharaoh had all the military training, all of the, the great dynamics, knew, knew what it was be, to be in leadership. And when it came time for God to call him to lead the children out of slavery, he says, oh, I can't. Why? Oh, I stutter. What's up with that? I mean, it's like going to the army physical and trying to 4F out of the place, you know? Oh, I stutter. I can't do it. I, I have a speech impediment. And God's going, so? Who made mouths? Don't you think I know you stutter? <laughs> well, okay. Think of it. Think of the, think of the judges. 
Who is the strongest judge? Samson, strongest judge. Strongest judge. When it came to women, he was a loser. He did not know how to relate to women. Think of it for a minute. How many times would it take for a woman to approach you and say, tell me the secret of taking away all your strength before you really caught up, caught on to the fact that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but Delilah did this to him again and again and again. I mean, he, and he, and he, told, you know, he gave her little tricks and she'd try them and they didn't work and she'd come back and ask again. Oh, he finally just said, well, she just cut off all my hair. So she did. Not bright when it came to women. <laughs> didn't, have that, didn't have that gear. Didn't have that instinct. And you say, but you're going to make this guy the strongest of the judges. Think of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. I mean, head and shoulders. Now, again, you can see some parts why God chose these for some, some characteristics. This guy was like head and shoulders above, handsome above everybody. I mean, he had the, had the Charlton Heston factor going for him, you know? But he was loony. He was stra- he would He would just whoop, go off. See ya. His mentality, he would just go crazy, throw spears at David. David would get on a car, <laughs> guitar, play him a little tune. He'd just calm down. Oh, yeah, I like that tune. Yeah, good. Okay. Just his, his mentality would come back as he listened to ballads. He kind of liked ballads, you know? But otherwise, he was nuts. And you think, why would God choose somebody who was nuts? Why would he do that? And the thing is, it didn't stop with the Old Testament people. I mean, when God came down in the flesh and, and chose disciples, it went right back to the same pattern. This is not the first team I would choose. I mean, t- turn for a minute, just if you have your scriptures, to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 2 through 4. We won't go through all the disciples, but let me just tell you about a few of them. These are odd people. Simon Peter... I mean, Christ built his church on Simon Peter. The guy was bipolar from the word go. I mean, manic depressive. <laughs> I mean, a, he was. He was. Christ, I'll never leave you. I have no idea who this guy is. You know? He was just all over the place. Christ built his church on this guy. Think of it. Look at the Zebedee boys here. James and John. Sons of Thunder, that was their nickname. Sons of Thunder, big strapping fishermen. And and in in verse 20, we see their mama taking them to Jesus. Come on, boys, I'm going to take you to Jesus. (laughs) Oh, mom. (laughs) Jesus, I want you to give one on your right hand, one on your left hand. Jesus goes, sorry, mom, I can't do that. Oh, mom, this is so embarrassing. They didn't stop her. They didn't stop her. Sons of Thunder, mama's boys. Look at the rest of it. Thomas, can you imagine living your whole, your whole ministry with Jesus? Watching him do every miracle in the world. And when he was resurrected, and Jesus comes to Thomas, Thomas goes, hmm, unless I can stick my fingers in those holes, I don't think I believe. Can you imagine that? Let me stick my fingers in. Can you imagine? Anybody having that kind of, that's audacious doubt. That's not just a little bit of doubt. That's audacious doubt. Think of Matthew, the tax collector, who is in collusion with the Roman government, being in the same group with Simon the Zealot, 
who belong to a secret group. You see, watch this. You think we're, we're, only, we're the only country that's ever had, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm following the government. I'm loyal. And, and then there's this, this little super patriot train in, the, train in the woods with combat outfits and, you know, be against the government kind of people. They've had them all, they've had them all down through history. And Simon the Zealot was with one of those little people. Oh, anybody caught in collusion with the Roman government, we're going to kill them. Those two people, same group. Not who I'd choose for first string. Not who I'd choose to be in the same group. And we won't even go to Judas. We're not even going to go there. We haven't got time to go to Judas. What was God thinking? I mean, look at the people he chose. Look at the people he chose in his, to, to surround the Christmas event. He didn't, even, he didn't just give John the Baptist, this wild man who ate locusts and lived with, with hair shirts out in, the, out in the desert. How'd you like to have that as your only kid? He didn't, he didn't just give that to an old couple that, that <laughs> wanted so long just to have a little boy. He didn't just do that. When it came to who would be the holy family, Went to this couple, wasn't even married yet, made her pregnant, didn't tell anybody at it. And, 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 and then, watch this. Now, and back in that time, there was, a, there was a stage between engagements and marriage, and it was called betrothal. And you were legally bound together. You, you had to get a divorce if, if that relationship got broken up. And the Bible says when Joseph, <coughs> excuse me, when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, Immediately, he decided to divorce her. I mean, immediately. Now, would you pick as the Holy Family somebody who almost got a divorce before they even got married? Would you do that? Somebody who's just decided, I mean, he did it out of, he, he was a nice guy, but he just decided that. And Mary, this poor little teenage girl, she don't know what's up. She just keeps asking questions. I mean, not like Zacharias, like, I don't know, I know. But she kept asking, well, how did this happen? I've never been with a man. What's, what's going on? Well, the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit. The <laughs> Bible says she kept pondering it in her heart. She was a very intellectual young girl, very, very analytical young girl. Uh, but she was a young girl. And this was a very rocky beginning for a marriage. Not who I'd choose as a holy family. Who would you choose to make the first announcement of the Christ child? What, would you choose shepherds? Now, shepherds these days aren't a big deal, but at least it's kind of an honorable profession. Shepherds back that in that day, religiously speaking, wasn't even an honorable profession because they couldn't keep, they couldn't keep the laws. They couldn't, they couldn't be clean all the time. I mean, every time you go to wash your hands, there goes a sheep. And so, ah, there's a sheep, I gotta raise a sheep. And so they couldn't, they couldn't keep all the Jewish laws. So the religious establishment looked down on shepherds. Religiously speaking, there were some of those non-religious people. Who did God choose as the first announcement for the coming of the Christ child? These non-religious Jews. Who did God choose as the first formal worshipers of Christ? Non-believers altogether. These guys weren't even Jews. They were magi. That's, a, the, that's what we, we, we uh, that's the correct pronunciation of magi. They came from a different, they were the secular humanists of the time. These guys 
were all about astronomy. They were the best uh, physicians. They were the best scientists. Uh, they, were, they were the best social strategists. of they, These were the intellectual cream of the crop. But they weren't believers. But when they saw in the sky and knew the patterns of the stars and could see the message written in the skies that other people couldn't see because they were so smart, they came and worshipped. First worshipers, non-believers. Now, isn't that odd? Why in the world would God do that? And what did all of these people have in common? Why did he choose them? As you, as you read some of the people he's chosen since then, it doesn't get much better. Do you realize if you read the biography, if you, if you knew the lives of the people who started most of the denominations... The ones I've studied, all of the ones I've studied, the people who started most of the denominations, if you read their lives, you'd know they're all neurotic. I mean, they really are. Most of them obsessive-compulsive. Luther was neurotic. He threw, he threw inkwells at the devil. Calvin was... was at, you talk about obsessive. You, John Wesley, the poor guy, was a nervous wreck. But God used them in a mighty way in an absolutely mighty way to transform the whole scene of Christianity. Odd people God chose, and God chooses odd people still. Many of you He's chosen. Why? You have odd people in your family, don't you? I know you do. I know this is the time of year we get together with our family, and most of us are going, oh, great. i got to go be with Uncle Harry again. You know, you've just got these odd people in your family. You've got these older people who you're always taught to respect, these old couples, most of whom, if, they, if you get old enough, you ever notice that you're kind of interchangeable as a man and a woman? I mean, you really can't tell, you can't tell who's who anymore. It's just, and, and, and you've got, you've got uh, people who are the religious and non-religious. You've got smokers and non-smokers and cussers and non-cussers, and, and they're all very different, but your family. And so you got to get together. You've got clothing optional people in your family, don't you? <laughs> I, I do. Listen, I, my grandmother was so modest that she would hardly wear a short sleeve dress because it would show her arms. By the same token, I've got this aunt that is just kind of free, you know? I mean... <laughs> Not out in public. She doesn't go buck naked in public, but in her own house, she just woohoo. Just I can remember, and 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 we got we got kind of underwear, non-underwear sides of the family, and 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 I can remember I can remember going to go over and play with my cousins, you know, and we'd be sitting there eating ice cream or something. My aunt would just go woohoo, and I go, oh man. She'd look at me. She'd say, "Sorry, Joe, I didn't know you were here." Well, it's too late now. I come from the underwear side. <laughs> I went in the hospital one time. They could get my underwear from me. Uh-uh. No way. I'm the underwear side of the family. You know? But you, you've got these, they're strange people. Strange people. But I, let me tell you something. If I were in a gym, there's nobody I'd rather have praying for me 
than that particular aunt. She's got a relationship with Christ the likes I haven't seen in years and years and years. Man, strange person on fire for Christ. I mean, it's just wonderful to behold. So what do all of these people have in common? God saw in all of them not a common ability, not a genetic predisposition, not a common social status, not a common, <coughs> excuse me, world view, and certainly not a common stability. There is no thread you can weave through all of those people that is a common thread except one. It doesn't depend, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, on any ability we have native to us. It says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. All of these people have one thing exactly alike. Every one of them, when the inbreaking of the kingdom of God came into their lives, reformed their entire lives around God. Every one of them said to the words of Jesus that were, follow me. Every one of them got up and left what they had and followed Christ. Every one of them, when the voice of God came and said, I want you, every one of them said, and I want you to, and I'll do whatever's necessary to follow you. That's what they have in common. That's how God chooses people. God chooses people because he sees in those people the willingness to follow him no matter what. He sees in those people, people who will say, I will build my life around you. I may not like it, and I may not feel adequate for it, but I'll build my life around. I want to tell you, he calls on that basis today. He calls on that basis today. You know, I get a little bit frightened when I hear people define what salvation is. Because sometimes I feel like they're wrapping it up like a neat little package that you can take or leave. And if you take it, it's simply on the basis of you finally believe that Jesus Christ is really who he said he was. And if you believe it, then you're saved and you don't have to worry about anything else. I, I want to tell you that the demons believe that Jesus is who he said he was. But they're not Christians because they do not follow Christ. They have not reformed, redone their entire lives around the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Every one of these other people did. Abraham did. Jacob did. The con artist. Saul did. Although the Spirit left him. It was the, the shepherds who would be interrupted. It was the wise men who would be interrupted. It was Mary who said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me as you have said. That was what they had in common. I want you to know that grace isn't something that gets us off anything except punishment. He gets us on to this wonderful journey. And God has never required anything less than our entire lives. It is very important to understand 
that it is not God's job to make us happier. It is our job to follow Him. Two good friends of mine, Jack and Pamela Seeloff, were talking with me the other night. They are um, missionaries in China. And as they were sitting talking with Becky and I, they were telling me, uh, telling us about an old man who they were talking to about the things of Scripture. And the old man said, how many Christians are there in America? And they were kind of taken back. They, they didn't know. They said, no, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe 75 million. But you see, they said it's kind of tough to tell because not everybody who says they're a Christian is really a Christian. This old man looked at her and said, what do you mean? And, and they said, well, there are a lot of people who believe in God, but not very many people who follow God. And this Chinese person was absolutely aghast. He said to them, oh, but if there is a God, I must follow him. There's the key. There's a God, we must follow Him. Or we can't call ourselves of His family. If there's a God, it's not for the additive of our lives. It is for the building of His kingdom that we live. And that's what all of these odd people understood. That's what all of these funny people had in common. They understood that. And they understood what a great privilege it was to be offered the life of God to live in us and what a great price He paid for it. I heard a story the other day about Abraham Lincoln going through a slave market one time. Becky and I and Josh and Lisa just saw Amistad last night. What a movie that was. But... Lincoln, as he walked through this horrible place where they were selling human beings, was so upset. He didn't have much money with him, but they were selling this one little girl who looked kind of frail. And he thought he'd at least try, and so he bid on this little girl and, and ultimately bought her. And upon the completion of the sale, he walked over to her and... And she looked at him, and with experience way beyond her years, she said, what are you going to do with me now? Lincoln looked at her and said, I'm going to set you free. She said, what do you mean? Lincoln said, you know, freedom. You can do anything you want to do. The little girl said, what do you mean? Lincoln said, freedom. She said, can I say anything I want to say? Lincoln said, yeah. She said, can I go anywhere I want to go? Lincoln said, yeah. And her eyes just swelled up with tears. And she said, then I want to go with you. You understand you've been bought. And you understand what freedom is when you want to go with the one that bought you. Pray with me.
God, thank you that you do not give us a shallow gospel of easy belief. You give us a life-changing invitation. Thank you that you did not look at our pre-qualifications or our characteristics or the oddities we have in our lives. Thank you that for us you just could foresee that we would want to follow you. There may be some here this morning, God, that have never followed you, but they they hear your invitation today to say, Jesus, with Jesus, just follow me. Lord, let them do it, knowing full well that that will change their whole life. In Jesus' name, amen.